Ladies and gentlemen, the BlackBerry story is one of the most compelling business narratives of our time. It's the story of how a struggling young tech company from Waterloo, Ontario, fought its way to the top of the brutally competitive handheld market by more or less inventing uh, a whole new category of handheld device with its BlackBerry device. That device turned us all into crackberry addicts and changed how the world communicated. In slightly more than a decade, the little company that could enjoyed meteoric growth and became an admired global giant with an astonishing $20 billion in sales. And the BlackBerry became the device of choice for world leaders, rock stars, and working stiffs like me. But at the peak of its success, a number of factors weakened the company, eroded the market share of the BlackBerry device, and triggered restructurings that saw the founders leave the company. Today, the company continues to evolve. Under new leadership, the company is reinventing itself as a software and security solutions provider. And thanks in large measure to BlackBerry, Waterloo continues to be a vibrant technology hub. So we're not giving up on BlackBerry yet. Far from it. Still, there are lessons to be learned from the story I've just told. And our speakers today are here to help us better understand those lessons. Jim Balsilli was a central player in the BlackBerry story. As you all know, Jim was the co-founder of BlackBerry, and he served as its co-CEO until January 2012. He is the founder of the Centre for International Governance Innovation, the Canadian International Council, and the Balsilli School of International Affairs. Most recently, he has become a distinguished op-ed writer, having written a great piece that appeared in the Globe and Mail last month, so check it out if you haven't done that already. We're very fortunate that Jim has agreed to come to speak with us today to share what surely must be unprecedented experiences in the Canadian business world. <clears throat> Jim will share his perspectives on the BlackBerry story in conversation with Jackie McNish and Sean Silkoff. Jackie and Sean are both senior writers with The Globe and Mail and co-authors of a book that I'm told debuted in the number one position, number one bestseller in Canada, nonfiction, but beating fiction too. No, just nonfiction. Nonfiction. Anyway, debuted number one. I got it wrong, but astonishing success with the book. And the book is called Losing the Signal, The Remarkable Rise and Spectacular Fall of Blackberry. Uh, following their conversation, our speakers have agreed to field questions from the audience. If you have any questions for them, you'll see that there are cue cards at the center of all of the tables. Feel free to scribble down your questions, and we have, uh, we have uh, volunteers who will wander around the room and collect them before uh, the question and answer session at the end. So, you don't want to hear anything more from me. Um, please welcome Jim, Jackie, and Sean. Sean, here's Sean. I'll sit in the middle. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Um, I like to do a little survey uh, when we have these conversations. How many people in here have a smartphone? I saw all your heads bearing down when you were here. <laughs> Can't live without it. Well, this is a story that began with this, the interactive 950 BlackBerry. Anyone old enough to remember using this? That long ago. This was 1999. So the smartphone race is less than 15 years old. 
And it's a story that starts with a company above a bagel store in Waterloo. And while our story and our book, and Jim's story, and Mike Lazaridis' story, is about the rise and the fall of Blackberry, this is a story that shows Canada that you can take a company from Waterloo and turn it into a $20 billion company. It's a story about the most brutish, fast-paced, technological race of our generation. So the great thing about having Jim here today is that there are a lot of lessons to be learned. So have you read the book? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, oh yes, I, I have. And um, I have one thing I want to talk to you about in that book, okay? Just, just one? <laughs> yes. Um, my, my big concern is you, you sort of glossed over one part. You, you missed that sometimes I can be aggressive and hyper-competitive. Really? Did you so, so, um <laughs> You know, I mean, you only put it on every other page. I thought you would put it on every page. So. You know, we're saving that for the print. <laughs> the, the, print the print, not the hardcover. But, but seriously, I, I've had many dozen, 80 or 90 RIM people email me. They, they said, wow, it's the true story. Um, and everybody said it's the truth, and not one person has said there's a fact wrong. So um, they, they, they feel that you got the story right. Well, thank you. Um, I should also point out that we did invite Mike Lazaridis to join us today, and he chose not to come. Um, but there'll be no shortage of good stories. And what we want to talk about are what are the takeaways from the BlackBerry story. And one of the big reveals for me when we were doing the book was how much conviction you need to have when you're in business, particularly in technology, which is a fast-paced, high-risk business. And there's a great story that we tell in the book about uh, the first interactive when it was brought here to Toronto to focus groups. And they showed it to the focus groups and they said, there's a little red light that's going to beep and it's going to buzz when you get your email, which was, had never been done before. The BlackBerry brought you the first piece of the internet to a mobile device. And when they sat in these focus groups, one businessman said, so that's going to buzz and flash whenever I get an email. Well, it better come with a hammer because I don't want anything to do with something that's going to be bothering me that much with email. So talk about conviction. How do you know to push through that kind of negative feedback and make the investment that you did? Well, when you do something like this and you choose to be an entrepreneur and expect to be a successful entrepreneur, uh, you have to have the ability to see ahead. And we, I certainly saw ahead that there was a shift, and Mike certainly did too, that... The world, you, you have to remember in the mid-90s that paging was king, and all the innovation was uh, two-way paging, and that shift created a very, very rare scene where when you go from something to something different, if you can shift that better, you can capture the whole uh, embedded market. And so if we could do two-way with a different structure, which was email instead of paging, uh, and make it very easy and intuitive to install, uh, you can grab the market. And, and so it was, a, it was understanding where the ball was going or the puck was going. Um, and, and you have to remember that focus groups are, are, are tools for a very specific purpose. They're very good at incremental innovation, uh, changes around a known product, a tape on a diaper or viscosity of peanut butter. But they're not very good um, at break, breakout categories. Uh, very famously, focus groups said the Chrysler minivan was a bad idea and FedEx was a bad idea. So it, it shows that we're not good at thinking new things uh, 
and so understand the tool for it is, what it is uh, wasn't hard for me to discard it and we were trying to and I wanted to grab that paging messaging market when it went from one way to two way. Uh, Jim, I want to ask you a couple questions about uh, commercialization. This has been a, something you've talked about uh, since, even since you left RIM. Um, how rare it is for uh, Canadian companies to to sort of hit the heights, uh, technology companies, uh, and a couple of ways uh, are through financing and marketing. So I want to start by asking you, I guess, how difficult was it when you go back to the to the, the mid '90s when you when you first hit the markets looking for for financing? Uh, for him to raise money, and, and what was what was your approach when you went out? It, it was it was harder, definitely, to raise money back then for tech because it wasn't. We were ahead of our time. Um, tech wasn't as uh, embedded in everything like it is now. So it, it was it was trickier. Uh, the approach we took, and, and it's it's the same as investing today. Um, sure, there are more funds that invest in tech, but. People only give you money if they think you're going to turn their dollar into two dollars. So you have to have a profitable business model that you can defend. Or if it's not profitable, there has to be a speculative exit strategy for selling the company. And so for us, what what I focused on in Bay Street was our tangible products now that were profitable, selling two-way pagers, selling modems. And we were... and, and People liked that. They said, okay, that's a big market for paging, uh, embedded modems, that, that's machine to machine or Internet of Things as they call it now. Uh, um, and we had PC cards. So um, that was, they could put a look to that and say, you know, you make it for a dollar, sell it for two dollars, I get it. Uh, in parallel, we were, we were doing BlackBerry, but you we couldn't really sell that as a concept. And so when that happened, we seeded it into mainly Wall Street and the U.S. to begin with, and after they they used it for a little bit, uh, the U.S. capital markets exploded with interest. So they were very different strategies, and you have to you have to play the card that can be digested at the time. But it's always about a profitable business model that can be defended, um, where an investor says, "If I give you a dollar, I, I think my chances of it doubling are pretty good," and and that hasn't changed. But we were ahead of our, our time, like ahead of the market. It's pretty common now. Everybody's a lot more speculating on tech now. So it was a different time then. Right. I think a lot of people think, uh, particularly with technology, you know, you just develop a fantastic new product and it will sell itself. But um, you, had a, you had a secret strategy, well, not so secret, but a strategy of hiring uh, these kids out of... Yeah. Uh, out of, I, I love the story uh, you told us about how you know people would ask you, well, how do you get people to come to the small city of Waterloo? And you said, no, no, the, the people we hire look forward to coming to the big city of Waterloo. Yeah. Uh, tell yeah. us a little bit about your strategy yeah. of uh, this guerrilla marketing strategy, yeah. of hiring these evangelists to, to, yeah. to get this into people's hands. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of those people we hired, I mean, I, I just, I believe in small town class valedictorians who uh, I just think they're they're so smart and they're so determined and they're, they're family prodigies and you can grow with those people. And, and I, I'm a big believer in the guys I mentor in investing in young people. Um, take the time, spend two or three years, they'll blow the door off, whatever you could expect. And, and when we launched, when I launched BlackBerry, um, it's very hard when you're a small new newcomer to break into a market because the odds are stacked against you and there's 
entrenched structures in a market. So um, what, what I, when I hired these guys, we created a seeding program because uh, Palm had a, an ad campaign, a $100 million ad campaign. They were the gorilla um, they, with Claudia Schiffer on all of the Palm pilots. We, we couldn't touch that. Um, and they were way, way bigger than us, like 12-fold and that. So we seeded it uh, to the CEOs, and that inverted the power structure. So it was, de- it, was de- it was the first bring your own device. Literally, it was, a de- it was a designed BYOD to subvert the power structure of the IT department, and, 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 then, and then that pulled them through because the, the IT director would walk into the CEO's office and, and say, you can't do that, and the CEO would say, you work for me. <laughs> and, uh, and it was very deliberate, and, and then these evangelists fanned out across North America um, seeding this, and uh, it was very tactical. It, it, I, I tell people in marketing, marketing is surgical. It's deliberate. Y- yes, you, you adapt along the way, but it's not throwing spaghetti against the wall. Hmm. Was there a moment in that seating process with the CEOs that you knew you had it right, that you had something? The, the, part, the time I knew we had something was when the CIOs and the IT directors were forced to install our servers. Then you're in the house. You're hard to get out. You're, you're in. <laughs> and you got the keys. And it's like, yes. Uh, and that created all kinds of other ways we could wedge on. So that was the time when we knew, I knew we had something big. Uh, you know, we, uh, we never rested on our laurels. It was an incredibly... Uh, rushed ride. I mean, for even when we were the um, uh, the fastest growing company in the world for five years, I, I never felt we were safe. We disrupted major, major players. We really knocked major incumbents badly. And and you know that you, the disruptor, can be the disruptee very, very quickly. So in tech, you got cycles, you got windows, you got a make hay while the sun shines and and grab as much market as you can, make as much progress and profits as you can and know that there's another game. So that's how we did it. So Sean and I had a private working title for our book. We called it (laughs) Game of Phones because it was, there were bodies, there was blood everywhere, blood sport on every level. And one of the bloodiest battles that a lot of people don't realize was with the carriers. Steve Jobs used to call the telecom network carriers, the four orifices. You couldn't innovate innovate unless you went through the four orifices. And I'm called aggressive. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so here you are, BlackBerry. You you are the early innovators. You dominate the market in the early late late 1990s, early 2000s. How do you navigate these giant carriers who are telling you what to do every day, every minute, every day? It is very uh, challenging working with them. Um, my strategy was back when we launched BlackBerry, the sentiment in the market was the carriers were dumb pipes. And the over-the-top players are going to kill them. It's going to be uh, Alta Vista, Lycos, um, Yahoo, um, uh, Lotus Mail, Microsoft Mail. And our strategy was to make the carrier strategic services platform and sell through the carriers, with the carriers, where they take a solution to the market so nobody becomes between them and their customers. And, um, and it worked. And, and, and that grew to a service fee well over $5 billion a year when I retired. And 
ninety percent profit, so we were making more than a billion dollars a quarter as the first wireless cloud company uh, in partnership with the carriers. So that's how we did it, and then we invested all kinds of time and teams dedicated to the carriers and channels, co-marketing programs. It was a very, very um, interest, you know, powerful relationship. That you know, I had, you know, you. I'm not a wallflower in negotiations, really? and uh, um, <laughs> you know, but they said, you know, you're difficult to deal with, Jim, but we know we can trust you. Uh, so, I mean, when you're, everybody always thinks a billion dollars is better than in their pocket than in your pocket. So, I, I just consider that business, but you never screw them. But you, you did have to. Um employ certain stealth moves, like if you wanted to put an app on your BlackBerry, you, there were times when you snuck that into the system. I mean, there's definitely an element of asking for forgiveness rather than permission, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, and when there's Mike and I, we would bob and weave, like, oh, that Jim sometimes, or oh, that Mike, you know, so there's a little bit of good cop, bad cop, but every business is highly tactical. I mean, who hasn't gone to buy a car where the guy goes, they go in to say, you know, oh, you know, my boss beat me up and, you know, to get that lower price. And meanwhile, they're just talking about the score of the game last night. And then he comes out like, oh, I almost lost my job. So there's, there's a lot of theater uh, in, in business. And, um, and, and uh, yeah, so it was very aggressive. And, and you have to remember many very major tech companies, handset and vendors have gone bankrupt selling to carriers. So they, 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 they take procurement to a sophisticated art form, and, and they play hard, so um, you have to play very sharp back. But you have to have a strong position and then hold it, and, and I, think, I think we did that um, from the entry point and the investment and the extension doing BBM. They were grumpy about that. Uh, some of the apps they were grumpy about. Putting a, a browser in it, they were grumpy about that. But um, the sales kept getting bigger, and they were making good money, so... Forgiveness always seemed to come a few <laughs> days later, a month later, and um, and it was all we were just. I mean, lots to pay, lots to deal with. Operationally, incredibly demanding. It's um, the greatest rush you can imagine, uh, and it was. But it was a pretty clear set of executional elements as we were the fastest growing in the company uh, until there were strategic shifts in the industry in 2008. And just to finish off the the notion of the carriers and the four orifices. Um, a lot of people talk about RIM and, and the, the turning point being when Steve Jobs walked onto the stage in 2007 and waved this little glass device called an iPhone. But a very big element of that day was the presence of AT&T executive Sid Sigelman, um, who announced a multi-year unique exclusive deal to sell the iPhone. Why was that so important, that deal? Well, that was a seismic shift in the industry, and and with Stan, there were there were lots of very aggressive moves against us over the years to shift our position, and uh, and there was more that will never come to light. Um, so you got to take as you got to give as hard as you get, um, but that shifted the game uh, because uh, they gave really Apple the keys to the product in the high end. Uh, and unlimited data uh, in, in exchange for an exclusivity because that was really a big uh, part of rebranding the network in the merger uh, to Singular at that time. So it was all a big plan. Um, yeah, and so for us, it really catalyzed a lot of what I call strategic dissonance uh, because you have to remember at that time we were the fastest growing company in the world 
And for two years after that, we, we continued the fastest growing company in the world. We were selling these low-end entry phones called Geminis and then Curves, like hotcakes. They were flying off the shelves. We had, were grown to 600 carriers around the world. You don't want to know how many plane flights. And, um, and it was remarkable. And so we were owning the low end, but, and, we were, and they were all using BBM. But then we responded uh, to that with the Storm um, as a high-end relate uh, product for our largest customer uh, in the U.S. or in the, in the world, Verizon, in partner with their half-owner, our, our third-largest customer, Vodafone, because our second-largest customer, uh, AT&T, had decided to uh, marry another bow or bell, and. Uh, so it was a very uh, strategic shifting time for the company. Yeah, very, very substantial, uh, very predatory. Uh, th- this is not a regulated opoly, oligopoly. This is not, this is not banking or oil sand or you know resources or or tel- like it is. The, the people play very predatory, very aggressive, and they'll they'll shift the sands at a blink of an of an eye and. Uh, that, that really threw a shift at the time, yeah. Yeah, if, if I could pick up on that, Jim. I mean, it's really astonishing when you look back at that story. I mean, it's, it's a rise and, and fall, uh, as we say in the title. And it's amazing how quickly things shifted. Um, as you said, uh, Verizon came to you a few months after uh, the iPhone came out and said, can you give us a, a piece of glass? But the product that came out was the Storm. And uh, it, it wasn't really what Verizon was looking for. It wasn't what the market was looking for. There were a lot of problems. We talk about this in the book. Um, and um, before you know it, a year later, Verizon turns to Android, to Google and Motorola. And within a year of uh, that product debuting, a year after the storm, it had that same sort of Thanksgiving pole position to hit the market. Android was the number one uh, platform in the world. Tell us a little bit about the impact of, of that turn. And I guess... You know, for the benefit of, of everyone here, what sort of lessons that you take away from that that whole period? Ooh, well, I forgot about the storm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the impact was uh, it was devastating. Uh, we, um, uh, you know, we Verizon was our largest customer in the world, and uh, the product had 100% returns, uh, and they they fired us as a, a vendor. They not only fired you; they asked you for something. Oh yeah, they asked for half a, mil- a billion dollars, um, and that was that was another special day. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, and so here you are, um, um, being fired by your largest customer. Also, um, your second largest customer is partnered with with iPhone, um, and uh, you know the, the the product. I mean, the lesson is. Um, you know, there's a fine line between ambition and biting off more than you can chew. Uh, we, uh, with Storm, we tried to uh, do too much. It was, a, it was a touch display. It was a clickable display. It, it was um, new application and media things, all done in, in a um, in an incredibly short period of time, and, and it blew up on us. And uh, and that was the time I knew we couldn't compete on high-end hardware anymore. And um, we were selling these low-end devices like hotcakes, but that really torqued the strategic confusion because were we, for me, were we high-end, were we low-end? 
were we a, a closed application store like Apple, or we were open as the carriers all wanted. And then at that time, with Android becoming uh, emerging so strong and uh, Apple emerging so strong, uh, I strongly believed we had to open up BBM as a, as a, as a messaging services platform for everybody to protect our service business because that was our profit. People thought we made our money on handsets. We made our money on the services business. It was a look over there, and that's a good business tactic is make them think you make your money here so that they don't go at you there, and I wanted to protect the services, and I just didn't believe we could compete in the high end of hardware anymore, and uh, that was, so it was, it was difficult. It was, it was a real sh shot to the company. You uh, shared with Sean and I a quote that we actually use in the book from Mike Tyson, which is, everyone has a plan until they get hit. Yeah, it's um, one of my favorite lines. Were, <laughs> Cowboy <laughs> up, yeah, hard, so that's the way it There goes. were a lot of hits for BlackBerry during this period. I mean, you had everything thrown at you. You had, uh, you had the regulatory issue with the backdating of the stock options. You had about that. drunk Scottish RIM employees on a plane chewing their way through restraints after they were before they were arrested, you had riots in Indonesia, and you had the patent battle with NTP, which was a particularly difficult issue for you. And in the minds of a lot of people, I think the question a lot of people would ask is, why did it take so long to settle that case? Well, I mean, tech is a very complex game, and you mentioned that essay that I wrote. Uh, and there's a lot of punditry out there and it's far more complex than meets the eye. If it was so easy, lots of people would build a $20 billion company. So the cavalierness that we treat these kinds of achievements is worthy of a little bit of reflection. Um, what happened was there were mistakes in the trial, and you wrote about those in the book. And then there was a judgment. And the tricky part about the judgment is it wasn't just a fixed payment. It was, I think it was 6% of our sales in perpetuity. Now, that's a billion dollars a year, pure payment. Second of all, they refused to do a principle what's called patent exhaustion. They reserved the right to go sue our carriers for 6% on their cellular bill for Blackberries. That's another uh, billion dollars a year. So settling that deal was instant death for Blackberry. Instant death, I guarantee you. But you've got a judge that says, if you don't settle, I'll pull the plug on you, and that's instant death. And my job is to give everybody confidence. So I am literally on half-hour calls all day with our top CIOs, our top carriers, our top investors, our employees, our suppliers, and I remember people saying, how do you do it? And my response is, what option do we have? And, um, and so, you just play it out, and somebody's, you know, there were people, it was a difficult time because I knew I was the leader of the company, and you're in a zone of death, and I didn't know what to do. And a couple very wise men who I know, very famous wise men, uh, who were quiet mentors said, just keep swinging. Just keep swinging, don't show weakness. And uh, that was not easy, and it took, two and a half years, and then we settled it. We paid a check for $600 million plus. Um, the patent office had canceled the patents, but they, the court didn't give that acknowledgement. And uh, 
you save the company by that, but any earlier settlement would have killed the company. Uh, there was no cause for settlement or celebration. You can't brag about it because you still got post-settlement motions and skirmishes and all that, and you've been a death sentence reprieve for something that seems senseless. Um, so we just put our head down and grew the fastest company in the world for the next five years. So it, it, on that point, it's interesting because people saw it as a, as a major uh, setback for the company, but it was like you were doing a, a quite happy dance in a way that, that you'd only had to pay uh, it one It didn't venture. feel happy. It's kind of like your child uh, living through a senseless accident. You're happy that they're alive, but it's not a happy dance, but my goodness, you're relieved. It, it's, 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 I don't have good words for it. All right, we're getting uh, close to the end here, and we do have some questions, Jim. Sure. And um, oh, this is one you're going to love. Um, to what extent did your three very public attempts to buy hockey teams distract you from the challenges of RIM? Um, There's not, a, lot of, a lot of people nodding their heads here. <laughs> uh, not one bit. Um, in 20 years, I had a team working on it full time. Um, in 20 years, I didn't miss one day of work. I didn't miss one meeting or one email or one phone call or one document to review. Um, I downed tools with it in summer of 2009 and have never thought about doing anything like it uh, or doing it since. Um, I recognize now that it gave a lot of people uh, an opportunity to, uh, a pundit, to make a, a very simplistic conclusion in a very complex situation that the company was facing in very seismic uh, uh, industry shifts. Yep, here's another one, uh, Jim. Is it harder or easier for tech startups to succeed today in Canada? I think uh, it's easier to start now because you've got all these incubators. Um, there were like 10 of them in Canada 10 years ago or 12, and now there's 160. Uh, so there's been a huge growth in them, so it's easier to get started, but it's, it's much harder to scale. Uh, I wrote this essay on the, uh, on the incompleteness of our infrastructure for, for uh, tech companies in Canada, and it is seriously incomplete. And my experience in Ottawa and Queen's Park is they do not understand how the innovation economy works. Um, there's a, it's not for lack of spending money. Um, we spend lots or more than anyone else, but we just don't have the outcomes. So we do need, it's easier to start, but it's harder to scale because I've seen around the world how public and private actors work together to ensure their companies scale. And, and, and I don't know if you read the ROB this morning. Did you see the, the did anyone read the ROB? The, 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 there was an, an essay on standards. Did anyone read it? The, the, uh -oh. oh my God, you guys got, what do you do? And, and, and when you do the tech game, so much of the battle is ingesting your, your standards in. Like, the internet is all about ingesting your standards. And if you get your standards ingested, you win the lottery. And if you don't, steak knives. And, and you both may spend a billion dollars. One's going to turn into a $10 million company. One's going to be a, a, a $10 million company. $10 billion, $10 million. And they talk about all these standards efforts, and we don't. The Canadians are never there. And this is a guy who's done it in Israel and China and the U.S., and he's a real expert on it. So I have a real issue on um, sending our great entrepreneurs into battle uh, 
under-resourced and under-supported. And, and nothing bothers me more than those who have not fulfilled their public policy obligations blaming entrepreneurs for an absence of fire in a belly. I've just, I think, I've never seen entrepreneurs without ambition, willing to work hard and be successful. It's a predatory world out there. You know, Mark Zuckerberg had his first lawsuit at 19. He had seven by the time he's 21. He's got over 100 concurrent patent lawsuits right now. Like, it's a predatory world out there where everybody believes that billion dollars is better in their pocket than your pocket. And, and people, the smart uh, countries have a, a very sophisticated public-private interaction, and it is just simply a wall in Canada. And it is not because we have weak entrepreneurs. It's not because there isn't sufficient venture capital. And it doesn't take any money to fix it, but we have to come at it in a reimagined way. And, and, and it's not because our entrepreneurs aren't exceptional. They really are very good. I remember meeting Mark when he was itty-bitty, uh, really small, all these guys, and these guys are no smarter, better than our people. And But there's something missing in the infrastructure, and we have to fix it. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Sean and I were in Ottawa last week talking to tech lawyers, uh, tech executives, and even some ex-RIM people. There's a lot of ex-RIM people who've started startups. It's a great <laughs> dividend uh, of BlackBerry. And a young man asked us with a very plaintive look on his face, is it possible for a Canadian startup to succeed? And Sean's very smart answer was, we shouldn't even be asking that question. Um, what would you say to someone like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely you can succeed. I mean, yeah, you can build a $20 billion company from Waterloo. Like, Silicon Valley has no monopoly on commercialization. Sure. Um, you have to be, you know, you have to get the conditions right in your organization and in yourself, and you have to get the conditions right uh, in the broader uh, infrastructure. But, but by all means, I mean, one of the things, you know, it's, I, I really do, you know, talk to these entrepreneurs lots, and I wish them so well, um, you know, and there's elements of the organization, elements of themselves, but one of the things I say in Canada, we need a lobby for indigenous innovators. Believe it or not, it's not there. Like if you're, if, you, if anyone here has an, an, a tech company, who do you join to go and take your voice to Ottawa or Queen's Park? They're all dominated and populated by foreign multinationals. And when I ran RIM, let me tell you, the person who was head of Germany or Brazil or Indonesia, I really didn't focus on Brazil's economic advancement. I worried about Canada. And, and don't ever think, the roads go back to the headquarters always, and the big returns go back to the headquarters. That's just how global commerce works. And, and so we have, to, we have to fix these things. They're, they're all fixable, like, and they don't cost any money. But we have to start to see how predatory this game is. And you talk about the hits. Uh, yeah, there were hits, and don't whine, don't complain. I don't think I want to complain, but go understand what you need and fight for it and fight hard for it. We founded Communitech. I, I was a co-founder of Communitech precisely so that we could go as one voice to Bay Street and one voice to Queen's Park and one voice to Parliament Hill and hog the puck for things we wanted for our companies. And the quid pro quo was we promised to grow good Canadian indigenous companies. It was a fair deal. And, and we fought hard for what we wanted and we, we upheld our end, end of the bargain. So there seems to be a passivity to that right now. 
And, 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 I, and I keep saying, guys, go and join up. If you put a dozen really strong emerging tech companies together and you showed up on a cabinet minister's door or an or a, a incubator's door or a university's door, you're going to get an audience and you're going to get influence. And, and, and it has to be for your sector. Right, we got time for two more questions. Sean's got a really tough one here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. What kind of smartphone do you use now? <laughs> uh, well, you know, you have fun, the fact that I'm not very sentimental, because business isn't a sentimental exercise. But when it comes to smartphones, I am sentimental. I use a Bolt. I love it. And you'll have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> He even uses a playbook, I've seen it, so oh. that's, that's dedicated. Runs his music off the playbook. Yeah. Read my newspapers on it. Um, all right, any final words? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would like to say it was, it was a real privilege to spend uh, 20 years uh, with Mike as a partner um, Growing Rim, uh, just a world-class engineer in, in, in designing and developing uh, BlackBerry together. And um, it, was a, it was such a great, I want to give such thanks to the people I, I work with. We, we worked so hard together, we were so tight, um, we left nothing on the table, uh, we decided that we wanted to change the way the world communicates, and we achieved it. And it was you just can't know how special that was to do that with people. Uh, we prospered mightily. Uh, we changed the world. And these, are, and these people are doing amazing things around the world right now, startups and major things and companies. So that was, um, that was just, uh, to have that experience, uh, I just, I'm so thankful. And, and, and also that, you know, BlackBerry is, 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 a, thrive, is a, growing, a thriving company. You've got thousands of people working very hard every day. They're profitable. And, and I think we all owe it to, to cheer them on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just go back. We'll stay here. We'll stay here. Wow, that was great. Thank you very much. Jim, I just want you to know that when Eric Schmidt opened our season for us, he was asked the same question, and he pulled a BlackBerry out of his pocket. <laughs> so Eric well, Schmidt, exec chair of Google, uses a BlackBerry still. And there's a tough guy. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Um, please welcome Mr. Mike White, uh, president and CEO of IBK Capital Corp, to thank our speakers today. Madam President, distinguished head table guests, fellow members and guests of the Empire Club of Canada, I have the pleasure to express our formal thanks to our three key speakers, Jim Balsilli, Jackie McNish, and Sean Silkoff. It is fitting that you have become part of the Empire Club's Spirit of a Pioneer series. You embody what it means to be a pioneer, the precise definition being one who helps to open up a new line of research or technology. Jim, your creation, the BlackBerry, began what is now a smartphone phenomenon. In the first quarter of 2015, 
vendors shipped a total of 334.4 million smartphones worldwide, according to the IDC, and you and your partners at BlackBerry started that. Jackie and Sean, your book gives us unique insight into research in motion and the lessons learned from one of Canada's most riveting technology companies. Your collaboration with Jim will undoubtedly benefit countless tech entrepreneurs and Canada's technology landscape. Thank you for visiting with us today and sharing with us how the company pioneered the smartphone industry and forever changed the way that we communicate. We wish you continued success in all of your endeavors. Thank you. Before we all leave today, I'd like to take a moment to thank our generous sponsors. First, IBK Capital Corp. Thank you very much, IBK. Just realizing it's a long list today, so maybe we should hold our applause until the end. Uh, Providential Pictures, Impression Ventures, Canadian Securities Exchange, Gluskin Chef and Associates, Virgin Vest, BIC Securities Limited. We're very grateful for the support. Thank you all. I'd also like to thank the National Post as our print media sponsor. This meeting will be broadcast on Rogers TV. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're thinking about coming to another event this season, you need to act fast. We only have two more events before we close for the summer, and they're they're doozies. We've got uh, the Governor General coming to speak to, to us on June 19th about what we are giving to Canada towards 2017. And on June 23rd, we've got Victor Dodig, CEO of CIBC, and he's going to be speaking to us about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, technology and banking, money and technology. Great topic. So please join us. Uh, If you would like to learn more about membership or our upcoming events, you can visit us online at www.empireclub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Empire underscore club. Finally, just one little announcement. Uh, Jackie and Sean have very kindly agreed to stay on following the event to sign books. So there's a table set up outside, and uh, feel free to visit them and have them sign the books that you have been given today, thanks to IBK Capital. Thank you. This meeting is now adjourned.